This is Archive Atlanta, Episode 62, Decatur. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, happy Friday and happy 2020. If you're listening to this in real time, today is my birthday and tomorrow I'm getting married. As if the period from Thanksgiving through New Year's is not hectic enough, I found a way to make it even more so. So thank you for your patience during our little winter break, and I'm very excited to be back and bringing you new topics and interviews in this new year. I love when listeners send me requests, and I wish I could do them all, but many times the topic is too small to fit like in a short episode. Then I kind of hoard all of those little topics, and I look for commonalities and put them in episodes together. But sometimes I subconsciously avoid topics that I'm not familiar with, which is sadly the entire east side of the city. People say OTP, ITP is a thing, but I'm here to propose that the west side, east side divide is a little stronger. So today I'm putting that fear aside and tackling a very requested place, Decatur. Decatur is older than Atlanta and its residents are very loyal and protective of their home. So I hope I can do it justice and spark a reason for you to want to read more about it or maybe visit if you've never been. Neighborhood episodes are popular, but they're hard. 15, 20 minutes is often not enough time to cover the entirety of a place full of people, buildings, and stories. Decatur is its own city, so you can imagine how difficult this was for me to decide what to include in my overview. Today, we're going to go all the way back to dinosaurs and through the present day, pointing out some of Decatur's well-known landmarks, churches, schools, and people. The very first thing I want to say is that everyone should read the book called Native Decatur by Mark Pfeiffer. In all my reading and research, this is the first book that has focused on history from the very beginning, as in the beginning of time, not the arrival of the white man. And guys, it's hard to find history that even includes Native Americans in Atlanta, let alone the period before humans even roamed the earth. I want to share an abbreviated snippet from his introduction because it's that good. He says, quote, feel where you are. Think about the ground underneath you, the soil, the rocks beneath that, the lay of the hill you're on, the land. All of those things. Those roads, buildings, and grass. It's only been here for the blink of an eye. End quote. Now, I don't want to recite the whole book, but I recommend you read it. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you guys. About 80 million years ago, this area of Decatur and DeKalb County is a jungle filled with dinosaurs. Definitely something to imagine next time you're having dinner on the square. After the dinosaurs, it was mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, giant chipmunks. Yes, I said giant chipmunks. And dire wolves. Shout out to my Game of Thrones fans. Around 12,000 years ago, nomadic hunters began to arrive in the area. 5,000 years ago, the first permanent homes were established around rivers and creeks. And just 1,000 years after that, we have the settlement of Sandtown. Two of the earliest settlements in the Atlanta area were Standing Peachtree and Sandtown, with the latter being the oldest. These settlements often appeared at the crossing of prehistoric trails, and Decatur was rich in trails and trail crossings. Four confirmed Native American trails were the Sandtown Trail, the Indian Springs Trail, Standing Peachtree Trail, and Shallifer Trail, which is now Claremont Avenue. If you live in Atlanta, I know all of those names sound familiar. In that, we have many modern road names with these titles. And just a little side note, this is all by design. Indigenous people were highly adept at choosing the best path to get from A to B. And Piper talks about this in his book, but we travel the same roads all day, every day. Whatever mode of transportation that you use, we never stop to wonder, why does this road go left? And it makes a sharp turn. Why does it veer to the right? 
These early paths were so perfect, for lack of a better explanation, that our modern roads were built on top. Even before the land lotteries of the 1820s, there are white settlers to be found in the area. Decatur was already a small village with a few stores at the crossroads of major trails and a trading post. A lottery held in the last months of 1821 would divide this vast area into five counties, Dooley, Fayette, Henry, Houston, and Monroe County. Decatur would land inside Henry County. The winners of these land lots were mostly Scottish, Irish, or English immigrants, and they have names that I've mentioned once or twice like Collier, Hairston, and Perkison. DeKalb County is officially created in 1822 by the Georgia General Assembly and is named after Baron Joan de Cobb, the only Revolutionary War hero to die on the battlefield. So with this new county comes the plans to find a public site for a courthouse and a jail. Decatur, which was in land lot number 246, becomes the first city in DeKalb County and the official seat in 1823. Now it was named for Stephen Decatur, who was a naval hero and a pirate fighter who died in a duel in 1820. Remember, this is still frontier living with frontier people coexisting with native peoples, as a trail of tears does not eradicate them fully until 1838. The city of Decatur today actually has a group of these antebellum columns, um, the Benjamin Swanton House, the Biffle Cabin, and the Thomas Barber Cabin that you can visit and see pieces of early history. One of the earliest settlers in the area is James Montgomery. Originally, he lived and served as postmaster over in Standing Peachtree, which is now the area near around kind of Piedmont Hospital. But once DeKalb County forms, he moves there with his wife and 14 kids. In the 1820s, another white man named Chapman Powell would move to the area, buying hundreds of acres and building a log cabin at the corner of what is now Claremont and North Decatur Roads. Now, his house was called the Medicine House, so if you kind of come across that in some readings, um, it acted as the only medical care in the area, so the local lore is that white and native people alike would go. Powell also plays a role in an often repeated local legend. When he's elected to the DeKalb County Legislature in 1836, a bill is introduced to make Decatur the terminus for the new rail line. And this story is that he wanted this to happen, but he was opposed by Colonel Calhoun, who thought it'd be best to continue east and, quote, the terminus of that railroad will never be any more than an eating house, end quote. And Chapman supposedly responds with, quote, true, you will see a time when it will eat up Decatur, end quote. Of course, that railroad outpost became Atlanta. You can't deny that there's an underlying animosity between Atlanta and Decatur, and I think this is why these kind of stories and legends exist. The latter is older, and it likes to tout that it was already established before the little railroad town was just getting started. Decatur did have a train, and it came through town in 1845, which brought more people and more commerce. I've talked about this before, but in the days before Atlanta, a stagecoach operated from Decatur to Marietta, as they were the two established cities at the time. By 1830, there are over 8,000 white residents of Decatur, with about 1,700 enslaved Africans and only 17 free black men. In 1853, the county is divided in half, and the western portion becomes Fulton County, so now that places Decatur closer to the line. If you've ever wondered why the county seat really isn't in the middle of the county, that's why. We can't talk about Decatur without mentioning the historic courthouse, as for even the casual visitors, it's one landmark that everyone knows. An early courthouse was built in 1829, but burned in 1842, along with almost all of the county's earliest records. A brick version went up in 1847, and although it survived Civil War skirmishes, it was replaced in 1898. Now this, granite beauty, is the one you see today. 
sort of. There was another fire, lots of fires in these buildings. Um, there was a fire that kind of damaged the interior and they did some exterior upgrades, but it's mainly the structure that we see. Now, this stopped being an actual courthouse in the late 60s, and it was saved from demolition um, by a preservation group, or I think just concerned residents, which is awesome. And now it's the DeKalb History Museum. They have great exhibits and great programs. And it's also an event venue, and I call it the unofficial elopement capital of Atlanta. Uh, I actually considered having my tiny little wedding there, too. I also want to talk about a few churches that are prominent fixtures in the city. First Baptist Church of Decatur over on Claremont being one of the most distinct to drive by visually. Um, And the building you see today was constructed in 1951, so it's definitely a little newer. But the church's congregation dates all the way back to 1862, just right as the Civil War was starting. There's also Decatur Presbyterian, which is right in downtown off the square. And I find myself passing it every time I visit Decatur. Its history was a little harder to track down, but if I got this right, the building that we see in Decatur today is from 1891. The congregation, though, much, much older. It goes all the way back to 1822, which makes it one of the oldest in the entire state of Georgia. Now, this church is the mother, they call it, of four other Presbyterian churches, including the one in Atlanta. Over the years, the population of Decatur grows along with the congregants, but apparently it was the influx of Agnes Scott students that really pushed the need for a new building. Sadly, when it comes to African-American churches in my research, those buildings are either long ago demolished or the structures are vacant. Both Antioch AME and Thankful Baptist once existed on Atlanta Avenue, which um, when I'm in my readings has been known as Black Decatur's Main Street, and they date back to 1874 and 1882, respectfully. It was a local Methodist minister, Dr. Jesse Boring, that would move the United Methodist Children Home to Decatur in 1873. Then known as a Decatur Orphans Home, it was created after the Civil War to assist 19 orphans. When their structure in Norcross burned, they made their way home to DeKalb County, and by 1900 had more than 125 students living on site. By 1915, there are more structures added to the campus, and 15 years later, the word orphan is removed, and they began to care for just generally children in need. In the 1970s, they shifted more towards children in foster families, and that's the work that they still do today. The 18-bed Scottish Rite Convalescent Home for Crippled Children opened in Decatur in 1915, and is actually technically in what is now the Oakhurst neighborhood. Four years later, famed architect Neil Reed designs a 50-bed institution for them, and today, you may be more familiar with its merger in 1998 when it becomes the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. The original home cottages are still around, as well as the Neil Reed building, and they have a multitude of different uses. Um, Some you can rent for events, and some have businesses in them. As the decades pass, Decatur's population continues to grow, from around 1,500 in 1900 to just over 6,000 in 1920. Out of those 6,000 people, about 1,000 were black, and the black population would double just 10 years later, but it always remained a smaller percentage in relation to the white population. In January of 1921, Decatur becomes an official city, and the decision was pretty controversial. Citizens were divided, and the entire city commission that voted for this actually resigned in 1922, and they selected a new one a month later. The city's first mayor was George Scott Candler, born in DeKalb County in 1887. He served as sole city commissioner for the county from 1939 to 1951, um, and he was really 
like the grower of Decatur. So during his tenure, the population tripled. It went from kind of like a rural little town to this urban city, municipal services, new roads, and he built the DeKalb Peachtree Airport. Decatur schools are a source of pride for the community, and it's um, the only or one of the only municipalities of Atlanta to have its own school system. In early Decatur, classes met in private homes or churches. By the 1890s, there are two private schools, Donald Frazier Academy for Boys and Agnes Scott Academy for Girls. And I'll go back to Agnes Scott in a minute. In 1902, the city votes to have public schools for its 430 students. A small wooden schoolhouse was built for white children, and that would eventually grow into Central Grammar School, which was built in 1909. Also, in 1902, Reverend Alan Wilson opened the first school for African-American children inside a local lodge. Now, that school would grow to become the Herring Street School, which opened officially in 1913. Public education for black Decatur kids only went through 8th grade until 1933. In the 1920s, Winona Park Elementary opened. And what's amazing for me is that that school is still there and it is still in operation as a school today. Decatur High School was built in 1912 and it was actually co-educational until 1932. And they decided to split it into boys high and girls high. No relation to the ones in Atlanta. So I don't know, maybe they want to be like them or something. Both uh, the girls school and the boys school stood right next to each other right in downtown Decatur, but they were separated by a fence. So I haven't confirmed this, but there is a wall there now, kind of on the the high school campus. Um, And I think that the wall is a growth of what the fence was. Back to Agnes Scott for a moment. Um, This started as a Decatur female seminary in 1882. Its very first classes were held in the Allen House, a mansion owned by Judge Hilliard. They would use this space for three years before getting a very generous land and monetary donation from Colonel Alan Scott. Not surprisingly, the school's name then changes to Agnes Scott Institute to honor his mother. By 1906, it gets its current title, Agnes Scott College, and today it's still an all-girls school. Now, Decatur schools have an interesting little tangent story, and it's a lot to get into here. I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it like a mini episode for my Patreon contributors, but I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. From 1902, in its inception, until 30 years later, Decatur City Schools had school on Saturdays, and they were off on Mondays. The reason for this very unstandard schedule was never officially documented but most people agree that it was to keep Jewish families away from living in Decatur. Saturday is the Sabbath day in Judaism. See, in the 1920s, Atlanta, and really all cities, were engaging in boosterism, the general promotion of the city. For Atlanta, they unveiled a campaign called Forward Atlanta, and Decatur, their marketing strategy was kind of highlighting how unlike Atlanta they were. Between 1901 and 1922, the Industrial Removal Office in New York City moved almost 650 Jews into Atlanta. By 1916, Decatur has zero Jewish citizens. In the 1920s, Atlanta has more Jewish citizens than the three Presbyterian bodies combined. By 1930, Atlanta has a population of 270,000 people, 5,000 of them being, quote, foreign-born whites, end quote, and 90,000 were black. So Decatur is like low-key advertising what an amazing, homogenous place to live. But like I said, this is a bigger topic and I want to cover it in detail later. There are many distinct and historic neighborhoods in the Decatur city limits. 
I have previously done a mini episode on Layla Ross Wilburn, um, but the majority of her house designs are in Decatur. She lived there and she also attended Agnes Scott. The first residential suburb to be developed and subsequently listed on the National Register is the MAC District, M-A-K, being an acronym for McDonough Street, Adams Street, and Kings Highway. It was developed around 1907 by two men, Jason Mason and Pullman Weeks, and they turned to local architect Layla Ross Wilburn to design the majority of the homes. Now, this is right near Agnes Scott, just across the tracks, so if you're visiting Decatur, you don't want to miss this neighborhood. It's really good. There are so many more, Decatur Heights, Winona Park, Oakhurst, Glenwood Estates. I couldn't get to them all here. Um, they, it all really coincides with the streetcar coming to Decatur, but I promise to work on future episodes where we can get into more detail. I want to end today's episode with a cemetery, because if you're a new listener, cemeteries are usually my favorite spot in a town or a city. The land encompassing Decatur Cemetery has been used for burial since the 1820s, which makes it the oldest known public burial ground in metro Atlanta. What was once considered a hill on the outskirts of town is now central to the city. Now here, it's a very large active cemetery. So if you're visiting for the history, you have to make sure you get to what is labeled the old cemetery. After 1900, burials are labeled in the new cemetery. Here, you're going to find the final resting place of all of Decatur's famous citizens, the Murphy-Candler family, Colonel Alston, Layla Ross Wilburn. Um, There's an African-American section, a pauper section, and a section for the orphan children who died. So there you have it, an overview on Decatur. If for some crazy reason you live in Metro Atlanta and you have not visited, make that a priority in 2020. Thank you all for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, do me a favor and leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you'd like some bonus content, head on over to patreon.com forward slash archive Atlanta, where for just $1 each month, you can get too many episodes and other special content. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll see you next week.